I'm Liz with TeachStone, and this is Teaching with Class. On today's episode, we'll answer what is class and your questions on being new to being observed, new to being an observer, and being new as a trainer. If you're new to class, one of the first questions you might have is, what is class? Um, So we'll start with that. Class, it stands for the Classroom Assessment Scoring System, and it's an observational tool. measures the effectiveness of teacher-student interactions, and it focuses on those interactions because the research consistently showed that it was teacher-student interactions that were the key to student social and academic outcomes. Um, And the class provides observers, certified observers, with a lens, a common lens for assessing that classroom quality. The class measure can measure the presence of those types of effective interactions across a wide range of ages and grade levels. Let's start with someone that's new to being an observer in class and how they can approach talking about class with their teachers. So I thought, who better to ask than someone in the class learning community who's been through it? So I reached out to Brianna. All right, well, Brianna, I'm so excited that you were able to join us. Everyone in the class community, I reached out to Brianna because she had what I thought was kind of the perfect answer to a tough question of how do you sort of pitch or explain class to someone who's maybe new to it or hasn't heard of it or hasn't used it. So we reached out to Brianna and she was kind enough to, to agree to come on our podcast and explain her experience with class and how she explains it to others who are, who are newer to it. So Brianna, thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. I'm excited to be here and honored to be here. Oh, wonderful. Well, before I, I ask you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, maybe your experience with class? Definitely. Um, So I was introduced to class probably, I would say about seven years ago. Um, And it was uh, during a lot of policy change uh, here in Florida and in Jacksonville, Florida specifically. Um, So they were looking at a bunch of different tools and trying to decide what they wanted to use um, in Duval County and in Jacksonville surrounding areas. And so my company uh, signed a bunch of us up for the class training. And Strangely enough, it has sort of followed me throughout my career uh, for the past seven years, and I ended up becoming a trained observer in pre-K and then later in toddler and infant as well and have kept those certifications up. And right now, um, I was a director, so I was using it to coach and work with my teachers um, and do doing some mentoring uh, with them as far as uh, co-mentoring with each other um, to work on their areas of class improvement. And um, from there, I became a class observer for the Early Learning Coalition of Duval. And now we use class just about every single day. Uh, We do one assessment a day, and it's part of our quality rating system with the Early Learning Coalition. Wonderful. Well, then you are probably um, very used to explaining what class is to, to someone who might be newer to it. How do you describe class to others? 
Um, well, I try to always take into consideration who I'm speaking with. You know, um, different educators come from different backgrounds. Um, some educators are directors and teachers. Some are uh, have been in administration and then became directors. And uh, strangely enough, some administrators have never been in the classroom. So it kind of just depends on um, who I'm speaking with. Uh, I try to always break it down to bare bones, um, which I guess in regards to all three tools that I currently use would be sort of an overview of starting with pre-K, the three areas, and then how those break down into simpler parts into toddler and infant. Um, and if I'm just walking in and giving a quick snapshot to a director of what I'm going to be doing in their classroom, um, I look at it from an emotional perspective and then from an organizational and behavior perspective and then also how the teacher is pushing learning in the classroom um, and the different levels of that. And I know you said in your in your description in the community that something that you liked about it that it was um, sort of the fact that it had real world application and that the whole point is sort of to make it objective. Can you talk a little bit about how you describe the real world application? Absolutely. I think that's one of the major selling points to me coming from someone who at the time learning class was going through a major policy change. And so we were looking at so many different tools and so many different trainings. Um, but the fact that it was objective and that being that it's not subject to someone's opinion. So for so long, teachers are used to having people come into the classroom and sit and observe, and um, the observation may be subject to how the rater or how the observer feels about that particular lesson or how they would have changed it. And with class, it's a very clear rubric, a very clear scoring system. It's either there or it's not. Um, and it's either often, very rarely, or sometimes, and it, it, it's very clear on how you score that. So for a teacher, I think that's really appealing that it's not, you know, subject to that observer's opinions of the lesson or the classroom. And then um, as far as the real world applications, when you're talking and you're giving feedback and you're looking at those scores, you're talking about what's going on in their actual classroom. It, it's not, oh, here's this video or here's this thing that maybe Sue did. It's actually, this is what you did and this is what we saw. And so that's what I think really makes it real world application for them. And then how they can take that using the class manual and some of the trainings and videos to improve how they're teaching and how they're serving their students. And one of the things we talk about here is um, looking further into how all of the dimensions and domains connect. Can you improve one area by improving another? Um, can you only do so well in one dimension if you're struggling in another? You wrote a little bit about that as well. Could you explain what you mean by how bringing it into smaller parts you can see how the different pieces connect. Sure, um, I think one of the ones that uh, connects a lot, especially when you're observing um, is how, for example, the learning piece connects to sometimes behavior management, which can also connect to regard. Um, and so if a teacher's really busy uh, controlling behaviors, she doesn't have as much time to really focus in on some of those uh, deep learning questions, those how and why questions and those back and forth exchanges. Um, and then sometimes that behavior can be a result of regard from um, not giving students enough choice and control in the classroom. And so when we're giving feedback to the teachers on a daily basis, um, 
you often see how one area can reflect in another. And the teachers, when you sort of connect that for them during the feedback, um, go, oh, well, if I gave them a job, then they would be busy with this, which maybe would mean that they had some choice, which maybe would mean I wasn't redirecting so much, which would give me more of a chance to do teaching in the classroom. Um, so that's just a, a good example that I see a lot between the, the three areas connecting um, and, and how the teachers can see how class works in the classroom, how each of those little parts connect. Yeah, that's a perfect example. So what would you have wanted to know or what do you wish you knew back when you first learned about class? I feel like I'm still much newer to class than you and, and each day I look back and I'm like, oh, and well that, that piece all fits together now, I get that. Yeah, um, so I think when I first started observing, and, and I, I have to say maybe this is a perpetual quest for me, is that instructional learning support, I feel like I'm always learning new pieces about that and about what quality of feedback looks like mm -hmm. and feedback loops, and especially at the different ages. Like it can be so different between a toddler and a pre-K. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe having more knowledge of that, because it, it I definitely had a feeling for like if a well-run classroom, you know, children were behaved, there was organization, there was, the children looked happy, but that instructional piece isn't necessarily always there. Mm -hmm. um, and so learning about that uh, is something I wish I had going in, but then also um, gained as I've trained and moved forward and I'm still learning about every day. It's just, it's continually growing. Well, that is actually the, the next topic we're diving into for our, our next podcast series. So that's perfect. Um, okay. Hopefully we'll have some good insight for people newer. Um, because, yeah, everyone, everyone struggles with instructional support. Definitely. You've answered all of my questions. So I just want to say thank you so much for making time for us. Absolutely. Thank you. And again, I really enjoyed it. So now that we know what a certified observer does, and what they're looking for, let's answer some of your questions around being a new observer. For that, I brought in our class specialist, Tracy. Thanks, Tracy, for joining us. Um, can we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, sure. I've been working with Teachstone just a little over three years full time. And so I've been a, um, a class specialist doing trainings, OBS trainings, TTTs, um, some coaching, all kinds of stuff. And it's been great. I worked before that with a resource and referral agency doing trainings and all kinds of stuff, about 20 different hats. I've also uh, been the director of two different child care centers. I've been a classroom teacher. And uh, in a former life, I used to work in radio. My ex-husband and I owned radio stations. So I did that a long, long time ago. Um, like I said, in another life. <laughs> I'm a class specialist and I'm loving it. Yeah, so tell me what brought you to class. What brought me to the class side? Um, you know, I had the opportunity in my previous job with the Resource and Referral Agency. Um, the state of Louisiana was adopting class to use as part of their um, quality program. And so I went to my first class OBS training and loved it. Wasn't quite sure that I understood it all, but I, I, I liked it all. And then I was able to go to a toddler training and then an infant. And then um, I went to a train the trainer and just kind of fell into it. But now I, I live the class life. It kind of <laughs> You know, rolls into everything else that you do after a while when you really embrace it. Very slow for you. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate you being our expert today and being willing to answer some questions for people who are, 
are newer to class. Um, and we have some, some good ones that I'm sure you've heard before. Um, so I'll just get started. So someone who's new, but ready to take their first certification test and says, I failed my first attempt at certification. What should I do differently? So first of all, People should know that there's no shame in not passing your test the first time. I tell my participants to just think of it as more practice because truly when they leave um, the training, they're just, you know, we're just taking their training wheels off and, you know, their knee pads off and their uh, elbow guards off. They still have their helmets on. They're just really not um, up on two wheels real sturdy yet. So there's no shame at all in not passing the first test or the second or even the third. Just keep on trying. But um, if you don't pass it on your first attempt, you do need to go back and do some um, real reflective <laughs> personal inventory there of what you really did do to prepare for the test. The rule of thumb is that you're going to spend anywhere from eight to 10 hours after the training to prepare to take your test. So like I say, do a little soul searching and really think about, you know, did you read the manual? Did you read chapters one and two of the manual? Um, did you watch those exemplar videos? Did you go back and watch the training videos and look at your master code justification? How long did you spend watching the videos and um, you know scoring those kind of things? And just really do a little inward reflection to see what you really did do. If you find that it's uh, one dimension or one domain that you didn't do well on, you might want to focus on that. And of course, there's always, um, you can reach out to your trainer or reliability support. And of course, that's not a 24-hour hotline, but it is planned during the week by a class specialist, we are able to give you a little bit more specific feedback on your test results. And maybe even, uh, usually when I do it, it's, it, it ends up to be more of a, of a counseling <laughs> type of thing where whoever didn't pass, they really kind of have an idea of why they didn't pass already. It's just kind of we walk them through the steps of thinking about, oh yeah, well, you know, maybe I did watch the videos three times and maybe I did think about it a little bit too much or something like that. So, but reliability support is out there for you and um, would be a good good spot for you if you're if you've gone through and you've really done um, thorough reflection and think I, I just don't know where I went wrong step out that's what they're there for that's what we're here for and I think all the more reason not to wait till your deadline of don't assume you'll pass the first time give yourself time to, to need to take that second or third attempt Yes, thank you, because that is one of the things that I put in my notes that I was going to talk about was time management, because I always, I have a poster when I train, and I have a big old key with my terrible art that I have, but I draw a key up there, and I always say that, you know, the key to becoming reliable is honestly uh, time management, making a plan of when you intend to study, um, when you intend to start testing, and write those dates down in your calendar, and you're much more likely to stick to it. And then that way, you know, one of my blog posts is that class testing doesn't have to be a Hail Mary pass. It does not have to be one of those things where you wait to the end and you put so much pressure on yourself, um, you know, plan ahead. And that way, hopefully, you know, you won't be seven weeks and six days into it and having to take, you know, three attempts or something like that. But having a plan and sticking to it definitely does help and takes some of the pressure off of you. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go to the next question then. Also, someone new to observing, they have now passed their observation but have not done a live observation yet. So what should I know before my first live observation? That's a good question. Um, first of all, I encourage participants to 
if they're able to, to find someone else that's reliable and get them to go out with you um, and do some double coding. There's always that feeling of safety in numbers. And so you go out with someone else and you can kind of um, see how they do it. Um, and then, you know, just uh, bouncing the scores and back and forth and how you both became um, came to that score is really nice to do. If that's not an option, then um, you're going to have to get out there and do it on your own. But the sooner, the better. That's usually what I tell people too. The longer you put it off, the bigger the cloud kind of gets that's hovering over you and it seems more overwhelming than it actually is. And then once you get out there and you do your first one, you're like, ah, yeah, that wasn't so bad after all. But that first one is pretty scary, I do admit. And I do think that um, one thing that you have to do is, because in your trainings, we don't really get people usually to score within 10 minutes. That is the ultimate goal. But um, being able to score in 10 minutes doesn't happen by accident. You have to put your due diligence in to get to that 10 minutes. And it's very important to be able to code in 10 minutes to maintain the validity of the tool. So if you weren't coding in 10 minutes whenever you were testing, that's all right. That's acceptable too. But before you go out there and do that first observation, you need to put the time in to know where you can find the materials to code the information, the evidence that you're going to need to code and, you know, you're going to need to be practice it. So again, if you can get somebody else to go out with you, grab them and y'all go out and do some double coding. And if not, just go ahead and jump into it and do the best you can. But really, you do have to put your time in to be able to code in 10 minutes. Perfect. Perfect. Well, this question comes from someone who um, is new to training. So she says, I'm getting ready to train others for the first time. Any last minute tips? I'm a big believer in the old saying of fake it till you make it. And I don't mean to fake the, that you have the class knowledge, but uh, more fake the confidence until you have the confidence. So, you know, you're going to need to practice out loud, not just read through the material, uh, because what actually goes on in your head and how it sounds in your head sounds completely different when it comes out of your mouth. So I always joke that my dogs are very well versed in class because I used to set up my projector and my computer in my bedroom and, you know, out loud, go through the training and the dogs understand class and um but if you don't do it out loud and practice it like that when you get in front of a group it's not like I say things are not going to come out of your mouth the way you think they are so definitely make sure that you are um, practicing out loud and fake that confidence until you have that confidence and also dress very comfortably I think that's one of the big things if you don't feel comfortable and confident when you're standing up in front of that group you're not going to do as well so don't wear something new that, you know, there's going to be an itchy tag bothering you in the back all day long or new shoes, even if they are really cute, that are going to rub blisters on your toes because you've got two solid days of work ahead of you. Dress comfortably and um, go out there and do it. You know, just have that confidence. If It's okay not to know everything. That's why you put up a parking lot. And if you can't answer it, just be honest and say, well, let's put it in the parking lot and I will find out and I'll get back with you about it. Yeah, go out. Go out and do one and oh and the other thing is to take lots of water because you need to stay hydrated while you train well so those are the tips i feel like all of those tips are exactly what you would recommend someone doing like a demo lesson for teaching applying <laughs> to a teaching job you know dress comfortably dress professionally be prepared pra good practice figure mm -hmm. out your timing um they're all the same things that you would do before you're going to teach students 
Yeah. And, you know, and I, I understand, you know, most of our um, affiliate trainers and all, this is just one little small part of their job. And so I know it's hard to find time to squeeze all the prep into that, but it will pay off in the long run. Well, thank you so much. This has been really helpful. Well, thank you. It was relatively painless. So I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for Teaching with Class. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode answering your questions on instructional support. Until then, log into the class learning community. Let us know how we're doing and what ideas you'd like us to tackle next. Thank you.